0: I'm at the Cape Cod Symposium on Addictive Disorders. This is the 32nd annual CCSAD hosted by C4 Events. This is where I get my hands on the experts and the professionals in the field of addiction and mental health disorders. So you can have more help, more support, more connection to the information that is going to bring your family back from the brink of destruction, from these destructive habits, these destructive patterns. I'm Aaron Huey. Welcome to Beyond Risk and back. Maureen's daughter went to more than 40 programs, 40, four zero. um, I'm going to let Maureen Cavanaugh back this story up and, and talk about the experience in her own terms. But what I know about these types of shows is that it's so powerful to hear the parent talk about the experience and the real and the raw and the people in these conferences in the, in, in the next 10 minutes, Maureen, I'm going to know more about your life than I might know about my own cousins or some of my close friends. And that's what I love about this. The transparency, the vulnerability, and the willingness to keep the secret dead is, is what makes these stories so powerful. Um, the good news is, you said your daughter is now over two years sober? Sorry, say that again.
1: A little over two years. It was two years July 23rd, not that we're counting.
0: And we should count every second <laughs> well, we and we thank the gods. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: And and the last treatment center, what, what was different? You
1: know, I, I, she doesn't even know. I think that um, through this whole thing, because I, I during her whole journey, I learned that really all I could do was to take care of myself. There was only so much I could do to help my daughter, although I tried to do everything. I chased her, I found her, I ran after her. And this is all detailed in, in my book, If You Love Me, A Mother's Journey Through Her Daughter's Opioid Addiction. Um, the paperback is coming out in January and they've changed the, um, the subtitle to A Mother's Journey Through Her Daughter's Addiction and Recovery. <laughs> I am so happy, I can't even tell you to say.
0: That's, that's amazing.
1: But um, it, you know, in the process of trying to help her, I created a nonprofit called Magnolia New Beginnings. And that um, nonprofit has two purposes. We raise money for sober living for people that would otherwise um, go back to the street after treatment. So it's mostly state. It's almost all state insurance. People that have worked really hard, they've done everything they needed to do, and now they have no place to live and there's no place for them to go. So we raise money, probably give about 70 scholarships a year. In a very thoughtful way, you know, we have certain people that are that refer to us from the treatment centers and from jail and from drug court. And um, the other part of Magnolia is we have a network um, across the United States and some in, people in Canada as well of over twenty-five thousand people that are supporting a loved one in um, who's struggling with addiction.
0: Like, as a support for it's
1: mostly moms and it's mostly children that they're supporting. So, and we have a little bit of everybody, you know, but it's all, you know, it was all the same because I, if it's if you're the wife, it's your husband. You become mom, <laughs> and if yeah. it's you know, and if you're the husband, and it's your wife, you still become mom.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course.
1: So it's lo- just lots of people on there trying to support, um, support their loved one, and get information, and get support themselves, and get shored up. Which... So you
0: you mean this is a place that that one of the moms, dads listening can contact uh, Magnolia New Beginnings and get support, talk to somebody, get well, connected. They're with...
1: on these groups are on Facebook. Yeah. So they join. They're closed groups and they request to join they come in they're heavily monitored so nobody's selling anything nobody's Good. doing anything yeah, sure. you know that they shouldn't be doing and um they're they're the national group has three thousand people in it and i guarantee you at two o'clock in the morning when your son and daughter hasn't come home which is what happens yes and you're ripping your hair out of your head and i've been there and when i was there i uh, i sat alone and cried and I thought to myself, I don't want people to f- ever have to go through this alone. Because in the beginning, I wasn't telling anybody, so the, I created these groups so that people would have someone to share with. And then, then the financial mission came from me just seeing another gap in the system where people were working really hard and then not able to, um, not able to, go, you know, have any place to live, going to shelters right. after that. Right. Right. So that's. The, that was created out of my inability to help my own daughter. Because I was running around trying to help her, but you know, we all know with kids, very often they want no part of their mother's help. You know, what do what do I know?
0: So we've begun the podcast with the end, right? Like what all this has led to, which sure. is a, a yes. paperback with a new title that's, that's addiction and recovery. Right. Thank the gods. And uh, a foundation that helps uh, place people into sober living environments. I never could have
1: even imagined any of this was going to happen. That's
0: what you set off, Mike. Is is that, I I mean, were you blindsided by the reality of it? Did it creep slowly and your denial kept going? Go back to the beginning now. Tell us how this began.
1: So my daughter, her name is Katie, was the perfect child and I say that not in the like my, my kids you everybody thinks their kids are, are perfect but mine really was <laughs> <laughs> I have four children she was the easiest out of all of them she was my buddy she sang in the church choir she she uh, as soon as she was able to she got a part-time job and went to school and worked really hard in school and was wanted to be a special education teacher like me I was right. a special education teacher um, she uh, volunteered. She was just great. She was one of these kids. Like she had a car, and she'd, when she got paid, she'd come and she'd give me her uh, money for her car insurance. That the on on Friday it would be the first thing she did. It was like she was the dream child. Yeah. So I was not looking for drug use, I wasn't, and she was not using drugs in a in 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 a way that I would be able to see. So she may have experimented with alcohol and marijuana when she was in high school, but she went off to college. And I had no idea that this was going to happen because this was not the child that you would have suspected that this was, that was going to use drugs or alcohol to excess. I expected that maybe when she went to high school, she might drink, she might experiment a little bit. I hope she wouldn't. But I also thought that, you know, we had a this great relationship that if she had a problem, she would tell me. But she went off to her first year of college and she started to really experiment and was awkward and kind of um, unhappy she didn't she didn't fit in all that easy or easily and I guess when she drank or when she started to do drugs she felt like she fit in a little bit better and she had done more of that than I knew in high school too and I missed it because I was not looking for that I was looking at my perfect daughter and she's is that perfect daughter but she's a perfect daughter with um, a serious, Um, propensity and inherited, um, you know, genetic makeup that made her a person who, when she started, she couldn't stop.
0: Did something happen? Was there also trauma in play as well?
1: No. I mean, that always makes me crazy when people say trauma is the gateway drug. Not for everybody. I mean, because I have four children and they all had the same upbringing. And I will tell you that I was raised in a house full of drugs and alcohol that I moved away from. I had parents who I was taken away at 15 years old and put in a a group home. I lived in a group home. So my thing was I was going to raise my children and everything was going to be as I was going to do everything I could to make sure they had good lives. And there was never going to be any drugs and alcohol around them. And there wasn't.
0: So you didn't use?
1: No. So that's why, I mean, if if trauma was the gateway drug, I should have been through the gate at about age 11. (laughs) And I do think that that happens, but... It's the person themselves, I think. So I think that anybody, you could see, you could have four children, they could see a terrible car accident, and that may be the trauma that sets somebody off in a life of using drugs and alcohol to to numb themselves. But it's the person, the personality. So I was not that person. I People tell me all the time, I didn't come from that. I came from that, I tell them. And it didn't happen to me. So I don't know that, that I don't feel that that's, you know, you're destined to use drugs and alcohol if you have had trauma in your life. Because most of us have had some kind of trauma.
0: So so your daughter has this golden thread through the genetics. Because obviously your yes. parents, you know... It, and on
1: her father's side as well. And
0: on her father's side as well. So um, she goes off to college. She, she starts partying. The partying gets
1: out of control out
0: of control and like how out of control are we talking
1: so within i think the first six or seven months she had tried heroin she wasn't using steadily but she had tried it wow she came home after um the first year she got through her first year of school and um she was miserable for the first for the first uh semester wanted to come home and then the second semester she seemed to like be doing a little bit better So we thought that, you know, this is good that she's doing a little bit better. But unfortunately, it was because the drug use had increased. Um, She came home and told me that she had tried heroin and she scared herself. And so I brought her to to an emergency room, had her tested. We talked to them. She went to an outpatient program. So I found out when she told me, which is kind of what I would expect from her. I, I, I was shocked that she used but I was not surprised that she
0: came to me. When she told you, do you look back on that moment? And, and A, do you, do you believe or agree with that when we say in the industry, whatever you find out's happening, multiply it by three, and that's closer to the truth. Was that true in your daughter's situation?
1: Absolutely.
0: So, so it was worse than she was telling Much you. worse. How much worse?
1: Well, I, I mean, she, she told me she had been experimenting. And then she told me that the drug sc- screen came up negative, which wasn't true. Okay. But it was a HIPAA violation to tell me anything different.
0: Right?
1: Um, she was drinking a box of wine a day. Wow. I mean, so it was very, 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 very different. But I now I'm thinking, well, this is good. Okay, she she tried things that she shouldn't have tried. She felt like she scared herself. She came to me, so I can still trust her. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and, and this is addiction changes the way changes your
0: child so she's 18 19 years old at this point right and 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 up until this point no hospital visits no oh, treatment no. programs no. so this that you're relating is kind of her first hosp- going to the hospital experience yes and is this what what you count in the one of 40
1: oh i don't even count that <laughs> so this was like before it really in my mind this is before it got started
0: so she said it scared her which you know but but Obviously, it didn't. It got much, much worse after that. I
1: don't think you can scare somebody out of out of using drugs because the feeling that she got from using drugs numbed that whatever was going on. And, you know, nobody knows what's going on with somebody. You think you do. You can be so unbelievably close that you're the mother and the best friend almost and you still don't know. So I just would like parents to to really remember that it's not being distrustful. You are their protector. So if they tell you that it's not as serious and they're just experimenting and it was only one time, don't believe them for their own good. Because this is this is what happened with me. And I mean, it's not like we have to walk around being suspicious all the time. I, I,
0: we already are. as we, when, our, when we discover our parents are using, now we're walking around suspicious.
1: Well, you would think, but I really believe that she was honest with me because she was always so honest. Okay. So I'm still like, we caught it in time, she's going to be fine. And I was scared, a little scared. Sure. But I was not, like I wasn't running out getting the drug test, which I would now. Mm -hmm. I would have gotten the drug test and said, okay, if, you know, as long as you know that if you're going to live in the house, you're going to, we're going to do this, these periodic drug tests, which would be an awful position to have to put a parent in, but... It would have been better than this getting out of control right in front of me. So I thought she was doing okay. Okay. She went to outpatient programs. She did, you know, like she is with everything. She was the perfect outpatient. Superstar. Yes. <laughs> and um, just, you know, everybody loves her and she did awesome. She was going to meetings and she seemed to be doing okay. And um, met a boy and then about. Within about six months, they wound up moving in together. I was not happy, but she's, you know, I don't know 19 at this age, at this stage. Didn't care for him too much, but um, th- th- it was, I didn't know, you know, he was using drugs. And um, so I didn't see her as much. I saw her, but she would come over only when she was okay. Okay. And that's when she began shooting up.
0: So she, she okay. So she was using the needle. She yeah. was, okay. How long did this go on? About five years. Five years. And in this time, she would come to you when things got really bad. You'd kick in the front door to, to find her. Like, like, how did these different interventions and treatment programs take place?
1: I mean, the first time she went into treatment was because I discovered that she had stolen all my jewelry. And um, she'd come in when I wasn't home. She wasn't living at the house anymore. And, um, because of
0: her drug use, or because she was living with this with this uh, young boy to buy boy? drugs, okay
1: to buy drugs. So the the two of them had stolen every th- all of my jewelry and uh, pawned it. But um, so when I found that out, I you know threatened her. You go to go to treatment, or you both going to jail. So she went to treatment. Okay, and she stayed there, and she went to the sober house. And within two days of me dropping her off at the sober house, she um, was gone again she so left she us was, over she was gone leaves. and this time i couldn't find her okay. she made sure i didn't know where she was
0: and then what how how did it go from there she would only show up when she
1: made sure she called me somehow every single day or texted me and to let me know that she was okay i mean her version of okay alive pretty sure so at least once a day i would hear from her
0: Hey, this is amazing because it doesn't make sense, and and we have we've we've talked about that a few times, and and of course when we're dealing with addiction, when we're dealing with mental health, you know, as professionals, as parents, we are constantly trying to employ logic to a situation that is insane. My my case in point: this this girl has has stolen from you. You've threatened to put your own daughter in jail. You're. Uh, uh, um, She's been through treatment. She took off two days after a sober, uh, living experience, and what what seems to make sense um, is that she calls you every day to let you know that she's not dead, and that's a good thing, or that's a that's better than better than dead.
1: Well, I used to watch her Facebook to see if she had been. You could used to be able to tell if somebody was active. Yeah, last login, active, yeah. sure. So that's that's what I w- I would watch that, and then if I didn't hear from her for a while, I would start to panic because I was terrified, and then she would let me know she was okay.
0: All right, like the Titanic, we know how this ends. Thank God it's ended the same the the, the okay. way that that every parent listening wants theirs to end, which is with some sobriety. Right. So now let's go back to your experience of life. How was your sleep pattern?
1: lord i wasn't sleeping yeah i was crazy i was out of my mind i mean
0: go ahead i'm not sure where that phone is coming from oh wait a second it's (laughs) ringing on my computer for crying out loud um i can't tell where this ringing has come from well uh, (laughs) that's not my phone so right. So my my wife must have left her phone in here somewhere. Okay, we'll edit all that out. Um, I that out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to it. We're talking about your life. You weren't sleeping, going crazy. Talk about some of the other of well, you.
1: So of course now I'm I'm trying to handle this by myself. And then, you know, and with Katie's dad. I'm trying to handle this somehow. I don't know how to handle it. I have no idea how to handle it. Um I can't find her. I got through a st- A series of, like I always say, mothers could be, you know, maybe get hired by the FBI by the time we get done dealing with a child that's had a a substance (laughs) use disorder. Because I found found out who picked her up. I got the license plate number. I called a friend (laughs) with questionable background and he found me who that person was. I found out where he dropped her. I found out where she was. And we, we, like, um, her father and I basically raided the house that she was in. I mean, we did so many crazy things to find her. And I and I'm keeping this in, and I have no one to talk to about this because who are you going to talk to? Who are you going to? I'm going to tell my neighbors. I kept it quiet in my own life in my in the town that I lived in. I lived in a very small town. I was a special ed teacher there, and I'm not going to. I had left the year before to start my own business, but everybody knew her. Everybody knew me.
0: So didn't everybody didn't, know what was happening no, anyway?
1: No, because it all nothing. It. I mean, I'm sure people. Some people knew but not really, and I just didn't want this to follow her, so I kept quiet until I opened up um, my phone one day when I hadn't heard from her for a couple of days, and it was un- totally unlike her, and I was scrolling through the um, through the uh, phone, and I look at, um, there's a headline I look at. Now, I was a special education teacher, so when I'm looking at these headlines, sometimes the local, the, they call it the patch here, the local news. Yeah. When I'm looking through these, I, I'm thinking to myself, oh, please, God, don't let it be anybody I know when I see a, a bad headline. Well, I see this headline, and I look at it once, and I look at it twice, and I look at it again. And, the, and it's Marblehead Honor Student Arrested for Prostitution, and it was my daughter. And I saw the name three times it took me to realize that it was her. And, well, the cat was out of the bag. And the next day, in a show of strength like I've never seen in my life, she wrote to the paper and apologized to her friends and family and said that people need to understand that when people are addicted to, to heroin, they do terrible things that they regret later, but they do it because they feel like they have to, and she's not a bad person, and people that are addicted to drugs aren't, a bad, aren't bad people, they just sometimes do bad things. And I was like...
0: So she finally coughed up the the secret.
1: To the paper. And I thought to myself, I know this sounds crazy. This is, she's unbelievable. I mean, the strength that that took not to crumble. This is a small town. So I just said, you know what? If she's got that kind of backbone, so do I. She had to get it from somewhere, right? <laughs> and um, I started speaking out, and I haven't stopped. And that's where the book came in. I mean, I really felt like I went through so much of this alone. And there's information out there. There's support out there. And and people don't know about it. So I, I was contacted. Um, I, a, a bunch of other things had happened. I started getting very active in the addiction community, I had helped um, a young girl that overdosed in a local dollar store and was, I don't know if you remember her picture was everywhere. She was one of the first people to overdose publicly and two people stood there while her daughter tried to wake her up. Um, oh. It was terrible. So I wound up getting her into treatment and then the, I, I was interviewed for the New York times and a couple other places, but I a bunch of other stuff happened with a nonprofit and um, a, a uh, agent contacted me to see if I wanted to write a book about my experience. And I mean, I grew up in a family full of drugs and alcohol. And as we all know, we learn these this does not leave these walls. We don't talk about this. This is not something we talk about outside of the house. And in that kind of a family, my nickname was Miss Closed Mouth. (laughs) I mean, I really learned how to hold everything in. And so writing this book was so out of character for me. But I felt like I needed, I needed to tell this story, not just so people wouldn't feel so alone, but so that people that didn't understand, that who had maybe young children who had never, who were not even contemplating that something like this could happen, could pick up this book and 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 read it, read about this experience, so that they wouldn't hopefully repeat the same thing and they wouldn't stigmatize and judge people that had gone through it.
0: Are you haunted by hindsight?
1: you know, I think you do better when you know better. And, and you'll see if you if you read the book, you'll see that if, <laughs> if you read the if, when you read the book, you'll see there was not and I don't know why. I always feel like I don't know. I, I don't know why. But I never yelled at her. I never got angry at her. I was so right from this, the very beginning, even when she stole the jewelry, I just wanted to go to go to treatment. But I knew that this, my daughter wouldn't do this unless she felt like she had no choice. And same thing with the prostitution, same thing with any of this. She would not have done any of this if she wasn't almost like kidnapped, you know, held hostage. They say your your brain is taken over. That's definitely what happened.
0: I want to ask you some, some more provocative questions mm-hmm. um, that answer at any level of defensiveness or confidence that you feel necessary. Um, because I, I always say in my podcast, I have the parent, my listener's voice in my head. So I want to say, um, I want to ask, um, did you enable her?
1: Um, I don't, I, I mean, from in the beginning when we didn't know, we were we, we definitely gave her money to, for food and gave her, but we didn't know. After we knew, we, I had um, very strong boundaries because I dealt with this with my parents, you know, with my whole family actually. So I knew there were certain things I would not do. One of those things was she couldn't live in my house until she had six months of sobriety. Now I would have helped her pay for a sober house. I would have, you know, but I, 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 so I had very good physical physical boundaries. I had very good financial boundaries. I had terrible emotional boundaries.
0: Meaning what? How did, how did you I violate I was own...
1: available 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. Yeah, yeah. I was completely taken over by this. No
0: matter what you're doing, if the phone rings, that was... Yeah. I
1: slept with the phone next, not even just on, but in my face so that, God forbid, I didn't hear because I was so tired and I did fall asleep that, I would, that the phone would wake me up. I ruined almost all of my relationships or nearly ruined them um because i was completely obsessed with her being okay and not losing her and
0: is that in hindsight it, would you change that it well, wasn't
1: you- well if if somebody would have told me that that worked i would tell everybody to go do that because <laughs> you know what i mean but the problem is it just it doesn't didn't work. work and and you know i would i always say if somebody had said maureen here's a butter knife Lob off your right arm, and your daughter will be fine. I would have been sawn away on it, but it doesn't work like that. Sacrificing my own mental health and and being at the ready every second in case, just in case, it was ridiculous. It would. I was not that powerful. I was not going to be able to do that. I I made sure that she knew. I started to get well, and it took a very long time. The name of the book is "If You Love Me." Because one night she came home um, after she had relapsed again. And this was towards the end. She had come home of some sober friends, the most wonderful people in the whole world, found her at 3 o'clock in the morning and brought her to the house. And she was sitting on my kitchen floor, just a mess, just discouraged and broken and crying and just a mess. And I said to her, sweetheart, two things she already knew. I didn't need to say these things. I said, honey, I love you so much and you're going to die. And she looked at me and very quickly said, if you loved me, you'd let me die. And it took me back, because I thought I knew how bad this was, but I didn't, I because I could see it in her face. I didn't really truly understand how much pain she was in, because not only was she trying she trying to numb the pain, in her own pain, but she knew what she was doing to her family, and that was creating even more pain. And I realized that I all I could do really was make sure that she knew that I loved her more than anything else in the world and I was there when she was ready and so was her father and her entire family. But we know that there's that this needs to be your decision. You've got to come to it. And when you're ready, we're here. And when I started to take care of myself and I started to... I mean, she, by this point, she knew where to go for help. Yeah. She knew, you know, and she knew that I was, th- she knew all of these things already. But when I started to say, I am not this powerful, I cannot control this, what, what's going on with her, I can't. And I started to begin to take care of myself and draw some, <clears throat> some of those emotional boundaries. Right. Turn my phone off at, at nine o'clock when I go to sleep because I der- deserved a good night's sleep. And I became stronger, and she could hear it, and she started to turn things around.
0: What was her rock bottom?
1: I don't believe in rock bottom. I think rock bottom's dead. So, I mean, and I believe that if she would have kept using, she would have had lots of more horrible, horrible things would have happened to her. And any one of them, we could have called rock bottom if she had stopped at that point. But I just think that people, you know, I don't think, I mean, I know how many people have said, I hit rock bottom, and then you know, relapsed again and, and, well, I guess that wasn't rock bottom. Right. So I just think that we don't, I would never wait for rock bottom.
0: Did your marriage survive the, this her process? And,
1: her dad and I were um, already divorced. Okay. And But we're, we're the best of friends and still okay. are. And I, I have a partner for the last 10 years and he was amazing.
0: So the friendship survived.
1: Yeah. I mean, and but yeah, with her, yeah, with her father, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He and I have... You know, always been friends even through everything. He was he's was always, always around, and he was awesome throughout this whole thing. And then I have a partner as well, and okay. he has been the same. I was very I'm very fortunate in that I had the two of them.
0: You know, there's 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 times in in listening to you talk, Marine, where I've wanted to say, um, shouldn't you have yelled? Shouldn't you have? Shouldn't you have? And 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 it makes me realize as I sit here. Um, with judgment on how this worked out successfully. Cause that's the thing is that like the Titanic, this ended and it, it's ended well and, and God willing she's used for the last time and, oh, and so. that today and that tomorrow she's as sober as that she is today. And, and I'm, I'm just kind of surprised at my own. Um, shouldn't you have done this? But the truth is you did what you knew how to do and what you did worked for you, and, and the mistakes you made led to the changes that you've made, and here you are. And how's your relationship now with her?
1: Oh, she's it's, it's even better than it was before. It's like I, I have her back. It took a while.
0: I mean, really have her back. And that's I have what her I back
1: lo- Yeah, it's like I really have her back. I yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I have her, you know, I mean, again, we talk We talk every day. <laughs> we, we, it's like, but it's good. It's not I'm alive. It's, you know, I, I had a job interview today. And it, so it's it's all good stuff. And she's, I, I couldn't be any prouder of her than if she would have graduated from Harvard. She's been through hell and She bad. has graduated from hell. And she is the toughest, sweetest, most amazing person I have ever met in my life. And we speak together every once in a while. And she tells people that the thing that I... Because I said, what do I? What did I do right? I'm sure I did plenty wrong. Yeah, well, we those, all do you know she's, But what did I do right? She said, you were always calm and there. And I always knew you loved <sighs> me. And I think that I really believe that's all we can do. I mean, I was full of information if she wanted it. And there were times when she wanted it. And then, you know, there was... But then there were times when she didn't want my help and uh, I connected her to people and she knew where to find help when she wanted it from other people. And I think that's all we can do. I mean, I had no control over when she stopped. It wasn't me that made her stop. It was her.
0: Did she contribute to the writing of the book?
1: She. There's two letters in there from her. She used to write me for when she was in treatment and there's a letter from treatment in there. And then there's a, in the afterword that's coming out in January in the paperback version, there's a letter from her um, just talking about life now. Oh. And, you know, the amazing thing is, so I turned this into an, I here's a person who never went to any part of anybody with a substance use disorder. <laughs> Don't bring me near any. I dealt with that when I was a kid, and it's like you, you know, you you make plans and God laughs. Yeah, you know? yeah, man plans, so, God laughs. Yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. hysterical because this is what I wound why, what I'm doing because I'm now I do family recovery coaching and I work one on one. I know, and I've done you know interventions and I do all this stuff because I learned so much. I'm I have a master's in education. I have lots of degrees. I could be doing lots of things, but this is um, this this is must be what I'm supposed to do, because I wind up talking to lots of parents, and I get where they're coming from. Plus, I've done all these different trainings and intervention trainings, and I've had all this experience that I feel like I want to share it with people because I don't want anybody to go through this alone. And I, I, you know, most people get well it's terrible that we're losing so many people. It's terrible. And I can't even count how many funerals I've been to, but most people get well.
0: What's, uh, what's the way people can contact you, can keep in touch with you? Not just go to Amazon and buy your book, I'm assuming. Yes. If you love me um, by Maureen Cavanaugh. Um, but w- what else you, you have a podcast?
1: I do. I have a podcast called collateral damage. Uh, and I do that with, um, uh, Mike Wilson, who's an interventionist and we work together sometimes too. He's an awesome guy. And, um, I have my own website is Maureen Kavanaugh. No, there's no you in my name. Just yeah. so everybody knows. C A V A N A G H. <laughs> yeah, it's Maureen net, And you can find information on how to buy the book and how to get in touch with me for, um, Family reco- uh, coaching, which I do, I do in my office in Massachusetts, but I also do via Zoom so that I can okay. work with people so you across do telehealth. the country. Yes, tell Wonderful. But the, the if you know people say oh, I can't afford that. Well, if that's the truth and you can't afford that, then go to Magnolia, or even if you can't afford it, still go to Magnolia New Beginnings. It's MagnoliaNewBeginnings.org. Everything on there is free. There's there's lists of books to read. There's there's resources from all over the country and there's twenty-five thousand people in the various pages that are on those that are all on there doing the same thing, supporting somebody, having supported somebody, and and willing to give out information and and, you know, kind of hold your hand over the over over Facebook and they're closed groups so nobody can see what's happening or what's being said inside of them except for the people that are
0: in there. Maureen Cavanaugh, author of "If You Love Me," what a beautiful, what a beautiful episode uh, uh, this has been. What a, what a. I mean, it's so much more of the same, you know, because because we all believe we're terminally unique in this world of addiction. Right,
1: that's and so do parents. And so
0: do parents. Yeah. And and you're just you're you've come in and driven home, get help, don't keep secrets. In the most beautiful. And I have to agree with your daughter, calm, loving way. So thank you so much for being this voice of reason in this world of insanity. Thank you so much. Um, Maureen Kavanaugh, C-A-V-A-N-A-G-H, if you love me. Thank you for being on Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you. This has been another episode of Beyond Risk and Back, coming to you from the 32nd Annual CCSAD. That's the Cape Cod Symposium on Addictive Disorders. Thank you to C4 Events for having me here. I also want to thank Dylan at Deepin Productions. Dylan does my sound engineering. He also does the music for Beyond Risk and Back. So if you need to get in touch with Dylan, go to deepinproductions at gmail.com. That's D E E P E N productions at gmail.com. If you've seen anything about Beyond Risk and Back on social media, you can thank Your Cause Consulting. To get in touch with Your Cause Consulting to handle your marketing needs, go to info at yourcauseconsulting.com and send them an email. Thanks so much for listening, parents. Remember, take care of yourself first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. This has been Aaron Huey, and I will talk to you soon.